have a series that we're going through at the moment in the book of John, and we have entitled it Simply Jesus. And as I speak this afternoon, I want you to just focus on Jesus. Because while I talk about this passage and talk about some practical things, actually our focus needs to be Jesus because that's who we're pointing to. And yes, there are things to learn and things that we need to do in response. But in the end, what we really want to come away with is not a list of things to do, but a greater appreciation of Jesus and who he is. So that's, that's, that's what I'd really love for this afternoon. So we're going to look at John chapter 13, verses 1 to 20, if you want to look that up. I'm too many words to put them up on the screen, so I didn't bother with the, that bit on the PowerPoint. And what this afternoon and this passage also gives me the opportunity to do is use a very long word, a 13-letter word. Yes juxtaposition what a word i tell you i wish i could use that in scrabble if i used that in scrabble and by the way i don't like scrabble but my wife does so being the sacrificial husband i am i play scrabble i need normally normally need a glass of wine to help but if i could use that word i might even get close to winning which doesn't happen very often. Sometimes, but not very often. And just in case you're not sure what that word means, although looking at you while I'm thinking, you know what that means. To juxtapose something, to put two things side by side, to compare them because they are so different. It shows the difference. It's just a fancy way of saying comparing things, really. And you see, last week, uh, Becky spoke brilliantly from the book of John on a passage known as the triumphal entry. When Jesus enters Jerusalem, people are laying down palm leaves at his feet. Anybody have that happen to them? I have. It's weird. I was in, I'm probably going to, this is a diversion, but this suddenly occurred to me. I've had that happen to me. And people singing and putting palm leaves down. I was in Africa and we were, we were in Uganda and we were preaching at various churches. And um, the thing is, this story doesn't show me in a very good light either. That's the problem with telling it. <laughs> but actually, it does talk about humility, which is, which is something we are going to talk about today. And because I was humbled. You know, you can choose to be humble or you can have humbleness thrust upon you. <laughs> um, I go for, go for humbleness. Don't have it thrust upon you. Anyway, we're in Africa. And we're going for a weekend break in the middle of two weeks, going around lots of churches. Um, on the way to this break, we pull off and we're in the mountains, in the middle of nowhere. And we come to a church and the whisper goes around the group, which I was leading. We're stopping at another church. They're going to ask us to preach again. And inside, and it may have come out of my mouth as well, I went, oh no, I've done lots already. Anyway, we drew up outside this church. We opened the doors and people came running out of the church on this mountain in the middle of nowhere, singing and laying leaves down at our leaves, leaves down at our feet. They had never had any 
white person stop or any foreigner stop and go to their children and be amongst them and step aside and stop before them. I was humbled immediately and we served them. It does link. We're talking about serving. <laughs> I need my water. So um, I was humbled and we served them and they were beautiful people and it was brilliant. But that's not really what I'm talking about today. Um, anyway, and that wasn't even this week's sermon. That was last week's. I'm getting easily distracted. I apologise. So last week, Becky spoke brilliantly about the triumphal entry and how as Jesus came into Jerusalem, the people were going, this is it. This is our saviour. This is the triumph. This is going to be the great victory in the overthrow of our oppressors. And it wasn't like that. Jesus never intended it to be like that. And Becky talked about the difference between expectation and reality and the disappointment that can live between those two things. And then we come to this passage and we see this incredible difference, this juxtaposition between the triumphal entry and the way people are treating Jesus. And then this passage, we come to this and the way Jesus then treats others. The difference between the two is astonishing. And we'll come to the passage in a moment. You see, this expectation of Jesus as this all-conquering hero, militarily, is what they were looking at. Well, he's very different in the passage we're about to read. So let's read it. John, chapter 13, verses 1 to 20. I am sure most of you will be familiar with this passage. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, which basically means it was nearly time for him to be crucified. His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Isn't that an amazing sentence? Isn't that incredible? Just look at that. Having loved his own, his followers, he loved them to the end. Despite the ups and downs that he went through with them, despite the rebukes and the failures and the few successes of his followers, he loved them. He loved his own. Do you know that's the way he looks at you this afternoon? He loves you because you're his own. You belong to him. Isn't that amazing? And he loves his own, he loves you to the end. Jesus never stops loving his own. He never stops loving you, his followers. He loves you and he always will. Take great comfort and delight in that. Those are the kind of things you look on during the week that help you get by, aren't they? You stop for a moment and you remember, ah, yes, he loves his own. And he loves them to the end. Anyway, we carry on in John 13. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet then, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he'd washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. There's a huge amount, as in any passage of scripture, to tackle there. So I'm going to be very narrow in my tackle. So you're not going to get a full exposition of every verse here. Um, also, obviously, we're talking about foot washing. And the bowls of water are being warmed as we speak, ready for you. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but I will, I, will, I will touch on why we're not doing that. And I'll touch on why, yeah, why we're not. I was going to sort of let that go a little longer and expect, you know, set the foot now. I won't. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the context of this passage, and then we're just going to look at a few things from it. Um, some things that Jesus teaches us and then our response to those things. So Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that's what it says, and that he had come from God, and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. I'm not sure there are many more startling and shocking passages of scripture in the Bible. It probably is, because they're all amazing, obviously. But Jesus, knowing that God had given all things into his hands, knowing that he'd come from God, knowing he was God, okay, God incarnate, God come as man, he got down on his knees and washed the feet of a group of men who'd been walking in a hot and dusty place. Men who would have had dirty, sweaty feet. I'm not sure I would have wanted to wash my own feet at that point let alone other people's. What we need to understand is God was kneeling before these men and washing their feet. If that doesn't shock us, what will? 
It's astonishing. What we need to understand here that not even the lowliest of servants in that time would have been asked or expected to do that job. That was something that you had done for yourself on going into the house. And yet here was Jesus washing their feet. You know, many of us have read this passage so many times over the years. And uh, we're often in danger of losing the impact of Scripture sometimes, I think. But it's good to just get that into our head. You know, it was just not long before this that he'd been welcomed into the city. People singing his praise. Hallelujah, the son of David leaves down, all of that. And then here he is. An astonishing episode. So what is Jesus showing us? What is the example that Jesus is setting for us here? Well, the first one is this. The first thing he's showing us here is there is no one above serving. There is no one who is too great to serve. Even a lowly household servant, as I said, would not have been expected to do what Jesus did here. Jesus is setting us this, this example. You know, right at the start of this book of John, in John 1.29, it says this. The next day he saw Jesus, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If anyone is above this, it's Jesus. If anyone can be excused from this, it's Jesus. The one man who does it is Jesus. And we can see that Peter, Peter sort of looks at this and went, whoa, no way. Verse six, you're washing my feet. And I mean, we all know Peter's, well, many will know Peter's reputation. Suddenly it's, oh, well, in that case, wash all of me. He's one thing, then the other. But Peter's reaction is, whoa, you can't do that for me. And Jesus says, no, I'm here to serve but I'm also here to teach you a greater lesson than the cleanliness of your feet. You see, after Peter's reaction is a conversation about being clean. And Jesus is teaching them that while I'm washing your feet, that's me serving you and showing you how to be amongst others, which we'll come on to. He's also showing a picture there of a washing, of a cleaning. He's saying, you are clean, Peter. You don't need me to wash all of you because you are clean. How can Jesus say that? Because Jesus knows he's about to die on the cross for the sins of the world. The Lamb of God. Jesus is teaching them they're clean because of what he is going to do. Although it's worth noting that he says, actually, not all of you. He knows what Judas is about to do. He knows. And we'll come on to that in a minute because there's something really important about that. But while we can serve others and replicate this and, and say, well, none of us are above serving, obviously we can't replicate what Jesus then served us in, in his death and his resurrection. You know, when, Peter, when, when Jesus said to Peter, no, I am going to wash your feet, 
makes us think about Mark 10, 45, where it says, for even the Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve. He came knowing he was going to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to serve. And while he was about to go through this biggest thing that anybody's ever done for any of us, he was also showing them how to serve one another and pushing them through the still teaching. What Jesus is also teaching us here is a lesson in humility to be able to humble ourselves in who we serve. We need to be ready to be humble as we serve one another. There's no get-out clause in serving in the kingdom of God. It's the way the body of Christ works. We serve one another, and none of us are above it. But that brings me on to the next thing in our list there that Jesus is showing us. No one is above serving, but Jesus also shows us that no one is below being served. How many pairs of feet did Jesus wash on that day? There are no exceptions mentioned here. We have to assume that he washed the feet of Judas, knowing what he was about to do, knowing he was going to betray him, to sell him out to death on the cross. And yet he served him by washing his feet. Jesus knew what Judas was up to. But as Jesus came to Judas, knowing what he was doing, he knelt before him. He took in his hands the dirty, sweaty, filthy feet of Judas and washed them. What does that remind you of? It reminds me of me. It reminds me of the gospel. It's such a powerful picture of what Jesus has done for us. This is simply Jesus. This is who he is. This is what he does. This is his very nature. When you, were, when you responded to Jesus, he looked at you and he said, you're not beneath being served. I will serve you. And he took your dirty, sweaty, filthy sin and washed you clean. Is there anything more beautiful than that? He doesn't turn anybody away, no matter what they have done. None of us deserve it. None of us have ever done anything worthy enough for Jesus to serve us in that way. When it comes to satisfying the standard that God requires for cleanliness, I'm no better than a mass murderer. No better. I'm in no better position. The offence that people take, we talk about this on Alpha sometimes when we do Alpha courses, and we say, do you know what? If you're not 100% pure before God, that's it. You're not pure. You could be quite good, 
but you're never good enough. I usually illustrate it by grabbing a cup of coffee and dropping a grain of salt into it, saying that's not pure anymore. It's only one grain of salt. It doesn't matter whether I put one grain in or a teaspoon, it's now not pure. It's like a driving license. You can't have a nearly clean driving license. It's either clean or it's not. Before God, and mine is clean, by the way. But before God, we are not clean until Jesus has done what he's done and freely given it to us and served us and said, actually, in all reality, we are beneath being served, really. But Jesus went, no, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to wash you clean. You're not beneath being served. How amazing is that? And this is really important when it comes to serving others. In that there is no one who is beneath being served by us. There is no one. Because guess what? We, didn't, we couldn't earn being served by Jesus. Others don't have to earn being served by us. We will serve one another and we will serve those outside of the church. Irrespective of who they are. Irrespective of what they've done. Because that's the way Jesus does it. So that's the way we are to do it. One final part of what Jesus was showing us, then I'll go on to our response. Jesus was willing to get his hands dirty. What do I mean by this? Well, it wasn't really his job to do what he was doing. So similar to the point I made earlier about no one being too important to serve, but there's a subtle difference here. Jesus was willing to serve in many ways. But when he came to this, he didn't say, not really my gifting this. It's not my gifting, so I, I let someone else do that. Because, you know, <laughs> you know who I am. <laughs> That's a bit mucky. I'm not going to do that. He didn't do that, did he? He was willing to make a point to the... To, to the he made a point of doing an unpleasant job, and it's considered so important. It's in scripture. These words are God-breathed. He made a point of doing an unpleasant job that he could have legitimately sidestepped. He didn't have to do it, but he did it and made a point. And as we look at our response, I'll come back to that in the way it relates to us. And believe it or not, I might be a little bit cheeky about it as well. <laughs> so, Jesus set an example for us, so we must respond. Now, as I said, we haven't got bowls of water here now. I'm not going to get you into groups to wash each other's feet. I'm imagining... 90% of people, maybe 100, but certainly 90% of people are now going, pleased about that. I'm amongst them. Um, but actually, doesn't Jesus say, for I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you? And while I could have said, well, that's not one of the bits I'm going to focus on today, I can't let that go, really. You see, there are a number of things that Jesus said, keep doing it. Have we got enough little pots? We have. 
So we are going to break bread together later. So right. we're, we're low on the little pots of communion stuff we use at the moment. Um, but I think we've got enough. Have we got enough? Okay, we've got enough. Good. Um, one, one of the things that Jesus did ask us to carry on doing was to break bread together. One of the sacraments. We baptised one another. Jesus said, do that. Now, I'm relying on the work of others in this. It's not something I have exhaustively studied. But actually, this foot washing isn't mentioned anywhere else. It's not mentioned in the same way as the sacraments are, such as baptism and the breaking of bread. It's not mentioned that way. It is mentioned elsewhere in the Bible, uh, 1 Timothy 5, but it's in a totally different context. Um, and so this is not elevated to the same level as that. It doesn't mean we can't do it, but it means we don't have to do it in that way. What Jesus is teaching here is a principle of serving that we must do. The way we treat one another, we must do. But it's not elevated to the same level as the sacraments that we do do faithfully. On and on. Um, it wasn't picked up as one of the sacraments by the early church, uh, which is important to note. Um, some Christian communities over the years have elevated this to that kind of level, but there's really not the biblical um, evidence for this or evidence for this outside of the Bible either. Um, so I just wanted to mention that. That's not an exhaustive study of it. Feel free to study that uh, if you want to know more. Um, but actually... What this is about is that willingness to serve one another, that willingness to treat one another and be humble before one another. We're called to be like Jesus in that. So what is our response to this passage? Well, we're going to follow the same headings that we followed before, pretty much. Firstly, no one's above serving. I think this is an obvious one, and I think we would all agree with it. Whether that's how we practice is another matter, potentially. But actually, Jesus teaches us a principle of serving, serving and demonstrates that it's all of us who are called to serve, every one of us. And um, we need to be ready. We need to be ready to serve, ready to help. Now, obviously, often when, when we look at serving in the church, people will immediately think of, putting out chairs, getting the refreshments set up, serving the kids, doing all that kind of stuff. And while those are serving, that's a very small part. It's a very small part. It's important because we serve one another, but it's so much wider than what we do here. It's about serving one another in the week. And actually, this does seem to teach that this starts here in the body. We serve one another. We serve the body of Christ in any way we can see and spot but we also take it out which I'll come to a lot of serving takes place without anybody seeing it a lot of the way we serve one another no one will ever see I mean Serving here on a Sunday, there are people out there serving our children. Thankfully, Melina swapped with me because I was supposed to be out there and doing this today. Um, 
but it's hidden. We don't really see what goes on or who's doing that. And yet people serve faithfully every week doing that. I know people serve one another during the week, help one another, meals for one another, help one another when they're ill. It's important that actually none of us are exempt from this, however menial the task. Just got to remember that. I think that's the easy bit. I think we're all probably okay with that. So here's the next part. No one is above being served. No one is below being served. No, I'll put it on in the notes. Right on there. There's no one that's below being served in the way Jesus served Judas. Do you know, you may need to serve people who make you uncomfortable, who annoy you, who are not like you. You might need to serve people who have hurt you or will hurt you. But that's the example that Jesus gives. But again, I think we kind of know that. But let me come to the next bit, which I think is it's where I see people struggle. You are not below being served. Sometimes it takes more humility to accept being served than to serve. Sometimes we're far more comfortable serving others than having others serve us. Because when others serve us, we're admitting we have a need. And don't we find that hard? When actually we need to be ready to say, I'm in need. That's where the humility comes. I want help, please. That's where the humility comes. And actually, if we don't do that, we're robbing others of the joy of serving. We're robbing others of what Jesus has called them to do in serving us. So can I encourage you to be ready and willing to admit your needs and allow others to serve you? Because one, that'll be good for you. And second, joy it brings to them. I think people find that hard. We need to speak up when we need to be served. And then it's dirty hands time. What does it look like to serve? Jesus was willing to get his hands dirty. How do we serve? You know, I'm sure when Jesus came to earth, he didn't have foot washing as his number one skill and gifting. You know, if he'd done a CV, it wouldn't have been at the top. You see, serving sometimes is just a case of getting stuck in wherever we, wherever we need. Sometimes it is using the gifts you've been given. But sometimes it's not. 
let me illustrate this. And I haven't asked him about this illustration. You know what they say, it's better to, what do they say? It's better to um, ask for forgiveness rather than permission. That's the, actually, I went down that phrase and couldn't remember it. Thank you. I have a friend. I know I've stood up here before and said I don't have many friends, but I do have some friends. I have a friend. I'm not going to upset this one because this is a good story. I've known him for a long time. And I have to say, the top of his, he's got a lot of gifts, but administration's not at the top. Is it, Rob? <laughs> no, he's got many amazing qualities. He can't have all the gifts. And actually, over the last few weeks, not just Rob, actually, but Rob and Tom. Where's Tom? Oh, he's, he's serving, hidden, hidden away serving. But since Ruth um, moved on from her job at Jubilee, Rob and Tom have both been getting stuck in serving, even though it's not what they choose to do, that bit. It's not their primary gifting. It's not why they're employed, but there's a need and they've done it. And, and actually, they deserve to be honoured in that. That's serving. Now, thankfully for everybody, Jody starts work tomorrow for Jubilee. <laughs> and Jody has an incredible gift of administration and serving and many others, which I won't miss. <laughs> but actually, Sometimes serving is about just getting stuck in where it's needed. Do you know, I am um, not here. Many years ago, I asked somebody to serve. I can't remember whether it was doing teas and coffees or setting out chairs on a Sunday or it was something like that. And the response was, I'll pray about it. <laughs> you don't need to pray about it, just do it. It's, it's not difficult. I think God's already said, you're the one. <laughs> Actually, there are some things where we just need to serve. We just need to say, there's a need, I'm going to do it. Now, if there's someone better for it, okay, great. Actually, I've found Jubilee to be a place where people are willing to get stuck in. I am, which is amazing. But actually, that's the attitude we need, is to say, we'll do it. I remember somebody asking me to come around and help them with a fence panel. They needed to lift the fence panel onto these six-foot-high fence What they asked me for to lift that? I couldn't even reach it. But I went anyway and cheered on the ones that could reach it. <laughs> But actually, sometimes we just want to serve each other, don't we? We just need to serve each other. We do want the right people doing the right things. But actually, there's a bit of rolling up your sleeves and getting stuck in. And actually, let, let, here's an interesting one, because I used Rob and Tom as an example. And obviously, they are employees of the church. So you might say, well... They're paid. They should do it. Why shouldn't they? Their job. It's what we're paying for. Actually, no, it's not. 
And actually, it's irrelevant. And I don't think anybody was thinking that here, but it occurred to me. It doesn't matter whether we're paid, not paid, volunteers, irrelevant. We're serving the body with humility. We're to approach everything we do with a servant heart, whether it's our job or not. So then I come on to another point. We serve one another. It starts here. I kind of mentioned that, didn't I? It starts here. And we serve one another. But it doesn't stay here. It goes out from here. And we serve those around us. Storehouse. Great example. Get advice. Great example. Your neighbour. Your friends. Your colleagues at work. Now, here's the thing. Paid to go to work. I'm paid to do my job. I do many things that are not in my job description because my boss says, we need someone to do this. I'll say, we need to show that same attitude at work with our neighbours, with our friends. We get to practice it here because we're really forgiving of one another, aren't we, when we mess it up. But we take it out because this is all part of what being a disciple is about. You know, we say we're disciples. What does the disciple do? He learns from his master. What does the master do? Gets on his knees and washes feet. And so actually, if you want to reach people with the gospel, we've already seen that this is, this is an image of the gospel. This is an image of what Jesus has done for us and for others. So let's do it. Let's serve people. Let's get out there. In many ways, look for opportunities. Find opportunities to serve your neighbours. So my neighbour had his garage broken into um, a couple of days ago and his bike nicked. We happened to have CCTV cameras on the front of our house. Not, we didn't install them. They were already there when we bought the house in the little box in the loft that records. And they said, do you think, he said, I oh, know it's a pain, but do you think you could go through the footage over the last couple of years? Yeah, absolutely. Let me serve you in that. So I'll be up the loft tonight going through the footage and trying to work out how to use it. But I know it records. But we serve, don't we? We, we put ourselves out. It requires sacrifice. Serving often is inconvenient. Sometimes it hurts. Now, what I do want to bring is a warning against doing too much and saying yes to everything and burning out. That's not what we want. I've been there and done that, and it's not nice. But it will be sacrificial. Sometimes it will cost us, maybe financially, certainly in time, maybe in reputation. Why is he doing that? It's beneath him. <laughs> nothing beneath us. Nothing is beneath us. When we understand our position before God, nothing is beneath us. I need to wrap up. Wanting to serve is a work of the Holy Spirit. If you don't want to serve those around you, if it appalls you, if it, I don't know, for whatever reason you think, sorry, but I've been burned before. I 
can't do that. I'm not going to do that. And you only need to ask the Holy Spirit to change you. Remember the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. As we display those to people around us, Jesus becomes irresistible to them. He is irresistible. And it's our job to show him like that in the way we act. We serve in this way because Jesus first served us in this way. He served us in life and in his death. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the example that you showed us. We thank you for the way you treated us. We thank you for the way you served us. We thank you for the way you never held back anything, even your whole life, in serving us. We're so grateful. Father, I pray as we head out this week that you will give us opportunities to serve in ways that open up conversations about you, that demonstrate the gospel. I pray you'll open up ways of us being able to serve one another. Lord, give us the humility to know when to ask for help, when to ask to be served. And not to be awkward about it, but be grateful that we have this wonderful community, your body, where we serve one another. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your presence with us this afternoon. Holy Spirit, thank you that you just, you came upon us and that you constantly do that. We are so grateful and we love you so much. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.